All right. Thank you very much for listening to the new music show. Stay tuned for Gray Matters. Uh, well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley, and uh, <laughs> I was having some phone problems today because they're working on our house, so I don't know if Jim's coming or not, but we'll uh, proceed as if he's not. He usually calls me, but who knows? Couldn't get to those phone calls today at all. Our, our uh, phones, well, I got a phone upstairs, but... Never mind my problems. Uh, we will uh, carry on. Anyway, um, just a quick comment about the Red Wings. Too bad Jim's not here for this, but it uh, be interesting to see if the Wings can pull this off. It strikes me that the San Jose team is perfectly matched against the Wings. We obviously have, a, I think, a little bit of an edge in goaltending. But this team plays, uh, San Jose plays outstanding sort of position defense, uh, sort of think of a 2-3 zone in basketball. Uh, it's hard to penetrate. In fact, the way to beat a 2-3 zone in basketball is to have a one-point guard penetrating through the two, but you can't do that in hockey. So uh, they got to come up with some, some answers and got to come out strong. But I think if they can steal one of the games in San Jose, they'll be okay. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But... Uh, for gosh sakes, don't uh, take any, don't take any cheap penalties. Uh, uh, San Jose's uh, power play has been uh, devastating. In any event, um, obviously, sort of the big weekend news story was the uh, development regarding George Tenet's uh, book that uh, went on sale today. That's interesting how uh, so much of the contents of the books were uh, prematurely leaked to selected. Uh, reviewers and reporters, and uh, there was a lot of discussion about it over the weekend, including last night on 60 Minutes. It's about the first time I've seen 60 Minutes in about two or three months, so I decided to tune in to uh, get a sense of where uh, Tenet's coming from. Obviously, Tenet is protecting his uh, his own turf. This is a CYA type of book, uh, which you all know from government uh, means cover your ass. Uh, that's all about uh, the fact that he, I think, uh, personally resents uh, that uh, he's been uh, characterized as a bit of a scapegoat. And it is, uh, I think, incredibly revealing that he uh, was not consulted directly on the war. And I think that he does shed some, some new light on the uh, details of uh, when uh, Bush had decided to go to war and why. Uh, hmm. It's too bad I'm not finding the exact article I was looking for. Uh, in any event, um, I think that the uh, one of the the big issues on this whole thing is the slam dunk comment that apparently occurred in uh, around Christmas time of uh, 2002. Uh, I believe the date was the 21st of December, and. I think that uh, Tenet, in the interview on 60 Minutes, and what we learned from Woodward's book, uh, Plan of Attack, as well as um, Tenet's own book, apparently, 
he took great umbrage from the fact that apparently that comment was leaked into the media. And as he puts it uh, at one point, he says, uh, I remember watching and thinking, quote, as if you needed me to say slam dunk to convince you to go to war with Iraq. So he took great umbrage from the fact that this was leaked. It was revealed last night on 60 Minutes that the only four people that were at the meeting were Cheney, uh, Condi Rice, Bush, and Andrew Card. So one of them obviously leaked this information to Bob Woodward. This slam dunk comment appeared in one of Woodward's earlier books about Bush at war. And in fact, uh, the comment itself has never been confirmed. Uh, if you go back and you check Plan of Attack, the uh, second edition of Bush at War, a trilogy that Bob Woodward, who I like to call our court historian, wrote a couple of years ago. It's only George Bush who claims that Tennant made this comment. Tennant still maintains that uh, he thinks it's possible that the comment was made, but that it was taken out of context and that he took great umbrage from the fact that it had been leaked. Um, Condi, Condi Rice and Cheney, of course, uh, we now know, uh, leak quite a lot of information to selected journalists for their own purposes. Uh, Andrew Card uh, is another possible suspect in this case. Um, but it's a little unclear why Andrew Card would be um, uh, leaking this information. This strikes me as coming right from the top. Uh, I believe the suspects are uh, Cheney. Rice or Bush. It's hard to imagine that Dick Cheney uh, meets in the in, in uh, garage basements with Bob Woodward to uh, d leak information, but uh, who knows? So this uh, comment may have made its way to Bob Woodward through uh, secondhand sources as well. And uh, Tennant, of course, goes out of his way to point out that the slam dunk he was talking about was the really the public relations issue regarding. Um, selling the war to the American people, which, of course, is what the Bush administration was scrupulously engaged in. Um, other things that I think are revealing uh, in Machiko Kakutani's, uh, Kakutani's uh, review in the uh, Saturday New York Times, we learn that um, Richard Pearl... Uh, is the one that told him at the time he was head of the Defense Policy Board, and we've uh, singled him out for being one of the architects of the war in Iraq, um, said, quote, Iraq has to pay a price for what happened yesterday. They bear responsibility. He made this comment on the 12th of September, 2001, one day after 9-11. And um, Tenet, uh, also on the slam dunk, remarks, I'm quoting from uh, Kakutani again, um, the remarks came 10 months after the president saw the first workable war plan for Iraq and two weeks after the Pentagon had issued uh, the first military deployment order sending U.S. troops to the region. Uh, what's significant about that is obviously special forces were already way on their way before uh, Bush uh, even went before the U.N., and that it's quite clear, the, well, the overwhelming evidence is now indisputable that the Bush administration had decided way in advance to go to war in Iraq for their own reasons, 
that have now, of course, turned uh, twisted. And uh, it just strikes me that this, uh, the significance of this book is that it confirms the greater picture that the uh, that there was this sort of cabal in the in the vice president's office. They were twisting the intelligence. They were abusing the CIA. Uh, it's been pointed out that it was unprecedented, for instance, for Scooter Libby and uh, Dick Cheney showed up no less than 12 times at the CIA at various points to, quote, go back and look at the evidence. So uh, Tennant's book is important um, because he's a big guy that uh, the Bush administration is going to have difficulty discrediting. I don't think they're going to be able to go after him personally. Um, he's been a, he's been awarded the Medal of uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom, <laughs> and of course that may have been uh, designed to uh, keep him on the team because the more and more you read about uh, the way Cheney and Bush actually operate, it's being on the team, quote unquote. That phrase keeps popping up in all of the accounts of how the Bush White House slash the Cheneys vice presidential office actually operate. They look at things through the prism of black and white and loyalty to the president, and you can see that somebody as incompetent as Condoleezza Rice, who uh, Tenet apparently in this book goes out of his way to point out uh, simply didn't do her job as national security advisor. You can see how Bush, even today, he's publicly defending Paul Wolfowitz as head of the World Bank, and uh, Condoleezza Rice is reluctant to appear before the Senate to explain um, the origins of the Iraq war. Well, so it goes. How hard could it be for her? She is on the team. She's on the team. That's the, that's the problem. Her, her team is the president and loyalty to him and not the American people. And her uh, role now as Secretary of State, uh, one has to question... Uh, how much actual influence she really has. Uh, the team is being led by um, that towel snapper, Mr. Bush. And what, you know, what are you going to do if you own a chicken plucking factory? <laughs> okay. That's the kind of intellect we have in the White House. Indeed. And, you know, if you think back to the kind of support that uh, Colin Powell enjoyed or did not enjoy... As Secretary of State, you begin to appreciate the lack of respect that the administration has for that very position, mm -hmm. I think. Diplomacy has been the furthest thing from their minds. Even the very recent attempts of Condoleezza Rice to you know, offer, to include Iran in a sort of regional uh, chat about the you know, future of Iraq is too little too late. Um, it might have been nice to have uh, approached Iran with these sorts of things before. Um, clearly, uh, there's been much water and uh, bad feelings under the uh, bridge since then. But uh, Cheney will emerge. Uh, you know, you'd like to think, well, when Cheney's book comes out, then we'll know. Mm -hmm. But I don't think Cheney is a book writing guy. I think uh, he will probably drag uh, a number of unpleasant secrets to uh, the great beyond with him. Um, let's not forget there are outstanding requests uh, for the transcripts of his secret meetings with energy companies just sure. regards to domestic policies, let alone his uh, busy little fingers in the uh, world of geopolitics and uh, 
bizarre miscalculations, which have pretty much been their rule of thumb every step of the way. Um, April now being all but officially over. By the way, happy Walpurgis night, and uh, sorry for running a little behind here. Um, April turns out to be uh, another pretty bleak month for U.S. troops. Um, 103 uh, 103 dead. dead. Uh, This is the deadliest month since December when 112 Americans died. The U.S. monthly death toll has topped 105 other times since the Iraq War began in March 2003. Um, And, of course, these recent deaths over the weekend um, in Baghdad, which... uh, you know, there has been, uh, let's see here, both attacks occurred. This is uh, Kim Gemmel's article in today's uh, Ann Arbor News. Both attacks occurred in eastern Baghdad, a predominantly Shiite area where American and Iraqi forces have stepped up their activities as part of a security crackdown that began on February 14th to quell the sectarian violence. And that inescapable phrase, sectarian violence, really goes a great way towards undermining the ambiguous phrase, Iraqi forces. You know, what is the Iraqi army? Is there such a thing as Iraq anymore? Mm-hmm. And I think clearly there isn't. And this was one of the great dangers in Cheney and Bush's, you know, war plans that the very state of Iraq, as dubious and, you know, historically recent, um, a colonial byproduct as it was, was uh, likely to uh, result in the fracturing of a state into its uh, component uh Subethnic parts, and there you go. Um, we see. Well, indeed, uh, you know, Tennant in his book points out, and I'm quoting from Kukatani again. Uh, Tennant writes that there was no strategy for when the U.S. forces hit the ground in Iraq, aside from a desire to put exile Ahmad Kalabi into power, who had provided administration hawks with much unreliable pre-war intelligence. Uh, Quote, you had the impression, Mr. Tennant sarcastically writes, that some office of the vice president and DOD, Department of Defense reps, were writing Colaby's name over and over in their notes like (laughs) schoolgirls with their first crush. Oh, it's the girly men. (laughs) Colaby, he's so dreamy. In charge. And, uh, of course, uh, Condoleezza Rice was a big... uh, proponent of uh, Ahmed Kalabi and, and it's well he fits right into that circle yeah. he's a corrupt incompetent uh, upper level manager type no. which is basically what the Bush administration is staffed with who indeed had not even been in Iraq since 1958 right so the notion that this guy is somehow gonna control Iraq is I mean ludicrous they may as well have put Neil Armstrong in charge <laughs> Neil <laughs> <laughs> At least Neil Armstrong's been to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, and he did that in 1969. <laughs> <laughs> that's more recently than Kalabi's been in Iraq, right? So, well, Neil and Buzz, <laughs> right? <laughs> <clears throat> well, there's an article in today's Financial Times, uh, very interesting here uh, by Guy Dinmore. Attack against Kurdish rebels risks strategic defeat. U.S. says, you know the the. End game is not yet fully played out here uh, in this region. Uh, the potential for the turmoil and turbulence to spread is very real. There are still those amongst the uh, 
myopic and the confused here in this country who would argue for spreading the war to Iran, um, a catastrophic blunder of unimaginable proportions, um, and yet there are some Democrats even who kind of hint that that might be a good thing. Um, this just read this quick paragraph. Before its latest political crisis broke out, Turkey had been pondering a military incursion into northern Iraq to attack Kurdish rebel bases just beyond its border. But the U.S. has begun warning Ankara to learn a lesson from what some officials in Washington are starting to call Israel's strategic defeat in Lebanon under similar circumstances last summer. Just imagine a scenario in which Turkey invades northern Iraq. Um... You know, all bets are off then. Well, the solution for Iraq is clear. They need to find oil in the Sunni area <laughs> and then partition it. <clears throat> um, but if only Bush would uh, get on his uh, his uh, well-known skills at finding oil, maybe uh, maybe that would work. It's interesting that, of course, there's a lot of discussion about the veto issue and, you know, who's going to cave. And I don't quite understand the Democrats' foolishness here. Um, it's if the president vetoes the funding, they should say, you vetoed the funding, the war's over. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, we're not going to debate this any further. Um, I don't know why they're talking about, I mean, I can see talking about negotiations. What we're talking here, folks, is a supplemental. This is uh, additional funding that uh, previously has not been appropriated. So the Congress is under no obligation to provide uh, more money. Uh, to keep the war going, um, the power of the purse. And, of course, you know, the Democrats are clearly divided into their own factions mm-hmm. on this. But I don't understand why they just simply do not call President Bush's bluff. He is in an incredibly weak position. And they have actually provided a bill with the funding, of course, with these stipulations on the side that uh, Mr. Bush objects to. Well, if he objects so much to the stipulations... Uh, then let them veto the bill and then just say, you vetoed the funding. We're not taking the rap on this. You are responsible for cutting off the funding to the troops. We put it in the bill. You vetoed it. It's time to play a hardball with this yeah. uh, doofus. Um, and I don't know what's ultimately going to come out. Perhaps there will be some sort of compromise in which they do a kind of a month-by-month continuing resolution on a supplemental, uh, if there is such a thing. But uh, so be it. Um, uh, it'll be very interesting to see what ultimately happens. I didn't bring in David Broder's completely idiotic column about, um, uh, you know, taking Harry Reid to task, calling it the oh. dumbest thing that's been said in Washington since Clinton debated what the word is, is about the war being lost. Well, that's the whole problem uh, with war terminology. The American people are confused about war. They continue to think it's a football game, that it's like a score, and that you, there's winners and losers, you know, teams win or lose, and they don't talk about the fact that war is more like baseball. It's 27 outs. The game takes a long time between the fourth and fifth innings sometimes, uh, which is where we're at here with the Iraq War. Uh, this thing is, is neither won nor lost. What it is is a disgrace, and that's the end of it. It's a disgrace um, to, to humanity, to civilization, to all of the purported American values that the Republican Party is so fond of promoting. Over the week, I've been reading a book about Dean Acheson 
And these vicious GOP people back in the late 40s and early 50s that got McCarthy going are the same people uh, using the same language. The word hmm. is defeatism. We've heard right. Dick Cheney throwing that word around again. Well, how interesting that it was boneheads like Wary and, uh, and Robert Taft and Joe McCarthy uh, and these types back in the uh, American Senate that were using the word defeatism uh, back in the, uh, for instance, the early parts of the uh, Korean War, or they lost China. As though debate. China were, were America's to lose. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is ludicrous. And, of course, the isolationists that were attacking um, Atchison, and, of course, I've got all kinds of problems with Atchison on other grounds, but, um, you know, it's just fascinating. They were the isolationists, <laughs> you know, 10 years earlier. Just as in this instance, if we go back and look at the Reagan administration, it was the Republicans that were supporting Saddam Hussein. Right. So this word defeatism is, uh, you know, has reared its ugly head again, and it demonstrates that, of course, history, uh, alas, does repeat itself uh, in terms of the incompetence and the amnesia with which our uh, so-called public servants operate. Hmm. Yeah, and even if the supplemental funding is to be cut, and even if uh, the war is brought to some sort of conclusion, there's still the embarrassing uh, devastation and the legacy of failure with regards to America's promises to rebuild Iraq. Um, interesting information here yeah. that less than a third, currently less than a third of Iraq's 3.5 million students attend classes. Well, there's not many buildings uh, functioning fully as schools. And of course, the uh, security situation is bleak. But more significantly, listen to this. Before the war, Baghdad received an average of 16 to 24 hours of power a day. Last spring, Baghdad averaged eight hours of electricity a day. This is how many years down the line. This is how many millions of dollars down the line that uh, has been spent. And there's, you know, been reasonable complaints levied against this entire program. Well, it'd be nice to have money for schools and for, you know, infrastructural uh, repairs to facilities here at home. But, uh, well, it's okay. We can spend the... Uh, $20 billion in reconstruction funds appropriated by Congress in 2003. And what has it been spent on? What has it accomplished? The city of Baghdad, one of the biggest cities in the region, one of the oldest continually occupied cities in human history, has an average of eight hours of electricity a day. Heck of a job, Bushy. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I didn't bring in this other report, but there's a new uh, re uh, Inspector General report about the uh, fact that the, you know, seven out of eight major projects are failing. Right. Um, and the one about the medical waste uh, blocking up the sewers is just, the image of it is uh, astonishing, but not surprising. Right. Um, it is this administration that continues to operate in a kind of, uh, I don't even know what to call it. It's sort of a global warming haze of methane or something. It's, it's, it's beginning, I'm beginning to wonder what on earth they are drinking uh, at the White House. Uh, Diet Coke may be uh, involved. It seemed to be a beverage of Oliver North's. Oh, that's right. 
It's amazing. Well, the NutraSweet uh, in there could be causing some early signs of uh, brain damage or atrophy of some kind. Just a, a quick uh, little follow-up on another item that we've been talking about recently regarding school violence. Uh, Bob Herbert in a recent column noted that uh, about eight children per day, teenagers and children, uh, die from gun violence. Um, we're losing the equivalent of a massacre of Virginia Tech about every four days here in the United States. And in this column, he uh, observes, a study released a few years ago by the Harvard School of Public Health compared firearm mortality rates among youngsters 5 to 14 years old uh, in the five states with the highest rates of gun ownership with those in the five states with the lowest rates. The results were chilling. Children in the states with the highest rates of gun ownership were 16 times as likely to die from accidental gunshot wounds, nearly seven times as likely to commit suicide with a gun, and more than three times as likely to be murdered uh, by a firearm. But guns don't kill people. People with guns kill people. Yeah. Uh, that says it all right there. Yeah, that's pretty um, damning. Don't. Uh, uh, there's no reason to own a gun in America. We have Spider-Man. <laughs> right. <laughs> Who will be coming to the rescue very soon, as you can tell from the marketing in place in major fast food and toy stores across this great land of ours. A movie, by the way, that cost $275 million to make. Just think of where that would go in Iraq. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why doesn't Spider-Man go to Iraq? That would be a good follow-up for movie four. Restore the power. That's right. His, his web action... Although reminiscent as it is of teenage masturbatory fantasies, could go some way towards uniting the crumbling infrastructure of that city. Um, I, as much as it pains me to do so, I am compelled to give a brain damage award to Poland. Uh oh. Poland, of course, bears the brunt of of many. We uh, won't crack any Archie Bunker <laughs> Polish jokes, right? Any, uh, and I'm part Polish myself, so. Uh, but I'm sure that when. It, <clears throat> Archie Bunker saw on television that Bush's uh, coalition of the willing <laughs> consisted of Poland, Italy, and Spain. <laughs> he probably turned over in his grave. Indeed. Well, Poland has been the brunt of so many jokes that uh, offering them a brain damage award seems like adding insult to injury. But when you realize that Poland is pressing ahead with plans to request U.S. Patriot missiles to defend itself against medium and short-range ballistic threats you realize that Poland is rich and ripe for a brain damage award. The Polish government has made it clear that it does not consider itself threatened by Iran, the country the U.S. says the system is intended to deal with. Mm -hmm. Why do they want this Patriot missile system? Well, they want it in return for hosting a base for the U.S.'s anti-missile system. So it's a sort of a friendly little quid pro quo here. No one wants to attack Poland. There are no special resources there. It no longer holds a place of serious geopolitical significance with regards to the Cold War. Poland does not need Patriot missiles. Well, you never know when Dick Cheney's got a craving for Punchkis. <laughs> this is true. If it's not Punchki season, Poland had better look out. But, I mean, this is Poland wanting to feel good about itself. Mm -hmm. And, you know... Take a walk, you know, get some exercise, um, 
develop a new hobby. But you don't need a Patriot missile system to feel good about yourself. Um, it says here, Poland believes there could be additional threats to Polish security. So instead of jumping and talking about Patriots or other advanced systems, let's have a rational and serious discussion about what those threats might be, says the uh, Assistant U.S. Secretary of State for Europe. Um <laughs> He adds, you can't jump from, gee, we think we have a problem, to Patriot missiles are the answer. So even the U.S. is a little shaky on this deal, which is surprising in itself, because normally anybody who's, who's willing to accept uh, U.S. missiles is you know, likely to get them within the hour, uh, if not sooner. So Poland, uh, as much as it pains me, this is total brain damage material. You do not need Patriot missile systems. Well, and of course, the whole uh, Star Wars fantasy of the uh, conservatives and the neoconservatives that goes back now a good uh, 20 years uh, uh, envisions uh, uh, basing the system in Czechoslovakia or, or the former Czech Republic mm -hmm. in Poland. It's frightening stuff. Um, what's the point? I don't, I don't even believe Iran has uh, such missiles that could reach Poland. Um, Why would Iran want to attack Poland? I have no idea. I mean, this is, you know, the Iranian ambassadors pointed out that Iran has, has, has not even started a war themselves in right. some, quite some time, well over 100 years. They have been invaded by a lot of other people, uh, including Iraq, <laughs> uh, Britain, uh, the USSR, to name a few. Um, and certainly the United States has meddled in Iran's internal affairs uh, repeatedly uh, over the decades. Uh, one very bizarre thing is a recent, or the brand new Nation magazine has a column by Alexander Coburn, uh, who's uh, always a fascinating figure. You know, I agree with some of the things that he writes about and sometimes wonder where he's coming from on others. Well, this is uh, one such column. Uh, he addresses the issue, is global warming a sin, and then goes into great detail about a friend of his, Martin Herzberg, Ph.D., and argues uh, pretty much uh, from the conservative right-wing Republican position about global warming, claiming that the, you know, the global, you know, he, he writes, we are warmer now because today's world is in a thaw following a recent ice age. This is true. Ice ages correlate with changes in the solar heat we receive, all due to predictable changes in the Earth's elliptical orbit around the sun and Earth's tilt. This is all kind of true. But he gets into this issue about whether or not carbon dioxide is causing, uh, and, and human activity is causing uh, this apparent global warming. And what is strange is in making his argument, he cites data between 1880 and 1980. Well, 1980 was 27 years ago. <laughs> uh, the warmest decade, the warmest years on record have all been in the last decade. Um, 1980 precedes China's leap into the industrialized sure. revolution. So data from 1880 and 1980 only showing a 0.5 degrees Celsius increase doesn't strike me as relevant to the current debate. Um, he then uh, promises um, in his next column to uh, 